It's so good to be bad. That's the wine we're sampling today from the Vellus Vineyards in the south of France. It's a double repasse and it's delicious. Welcome to our wine down. We're very excited about this episode today. We, alongside myself, Raiden, and Morgan, we have Lynn Sr., Cindy Jurgensen, and Marlene Wilson, where we talk about a couple of different episodes from, from the past of, regarding reverse mortgages, buy and hold, and mortgages and refis. I hope you enjoy. And we are always wanting to get your feedback. So if you have anything you would like us to cover in future episodes, please send us a text. We've set up a texting line so that you can be able to communicate with us. The text number is 984-207-1753. We look forward to hearing from you and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Secure Your Retirement Podcast. This is the place where high achieving professionals come to gain confidence on how to successfully navigate their transition into and life during retirement. There's no such thing as a passive retirement plan. To have a successful financial future, your plan must be actively managed. Each week, we will bring you action plans and expert interviews that will help you gain insights, learn fresh perspectives, and finally experience peace of mind about your retirement. Here to help you achieve your dream retirement and live the life you deserve are your hosts, certified financial planners, Raiden Stansel and Merce Tariq. Well, we welcome you to our podcast today. I'm going to tell you, for me, this is the most exciting part of doing a podcast, and it's our wind down. And the reason why I love the wind down is because we get to have everybody involved. Morgan's here, Merce is here, and we have three very special guests. So we have uh, coming back to us. Uh, Lynn Sr. Last time we did our wind down, Lynn visited with us for a little bit and then had internet issues. And so we said, Lynn's so fun. We got to have her back. So (laughs) we had Lynn come back on the show. She's a part of this one as well. And then we also, in addition, have Marlene Wilson and Cindy Jurgensen. So we are so happy to have you with us today. So thank you very much for coming. Thank you. All right. So the way the wind down works is we're talking about kind of what's been going on for the last month in our podcast shows, really on the interview shows. And then we have wine. So Morgan is going to tell us the wine for November. Wine for November is the double repasse. It is from the Vellus Vineyards in the south of France. And their vineyards consist of five different estates. So it's very large and spread across. And um, what the double repas means, so my French is very elementary, but in wine terms, it means to press or to squeeze. And that typically means that someone has made the wine from grapes, but held onto the skins. And then they dump fresh must onto the once squeezed skins and they use new juice to soak more flavor. So that makes it more earthy and more tanniny. So that's double repas. And just for listeners, and if anybody is viewing this, um, Lynn is a white wine drinker. <laughs> so what are you drinking, Lynn? I am drinking a uh, Sauvignon Blanc, I believe. It's called Les Naturels. Uh, it has a really cool dragonfly <laughs> on the label and, and a bunch of other, there was a bunch of other insects up top, but it, it, and it's quite, quite nice. Okay. And um, as much as I love red wine, red wine does not love me. Uh, and so that's why I don't drink it. 
So Marlene, what do you think of the wine that we're drinking? The wine is wonderful. It's really rich. Yeah, yeah. it is that. Yeah, I just took my first sip and uh, you can you get hints of a bunch of little different things, but I, I think it's really smooth for as heavy as it seems like it might be. So I think it's fantastic. So yeah. Cindy, what's your thoughts? Um, I, I love it. And you know what I love the most about it besides the taste is the label on the back where it <laughs> says it's so good to be bad. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. can't say that that was the first draw. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. So we had, uh, and we're going to kind of get to know you guys a little bit uh, throughout the, the show today. Um, why don't we do that first? Like, if you could, and, and Lynn, I know you said this on the last one, but could you kind of give us a little bit of background of your, of your situation and, and kind of where you're at in the phase of retirement or close to retirement, where you are and kind of your background? Sure, sure. So um, I worked for about 35 years um, in various agricultural related jobs, um, both with the state of North Carolina, the USDA, and then private industry. I am a geneticist by training, um, did more project management than anything else towards the end of my career. Um, about two years ago, I was offered a package uh -huh. <laughs> um, with the caveat that um, I could come back as a contractor and work part-time for two years. And so that was my plan. Um, and it, it came to fruition for about a year or, and maybe a little bit over and then COVID hit and the contractors in the company were the first ones to go. Um, so retirement came a little bit earlier than I expected. Um, but, um, I, I think we're in pretty good shape. Uh, you know, we've, we've had a lot of conversations, uh, about what, uh, what we can do. Um, fortunately, um, my husband retired early is, uh, got a pension, then went back to work part-time. So we've got a fair income stream coming in and uh, haven't had to touch the 401k yet. Okay. But that's kind of where we are. Um, and I'm getting trying to get used to retirement. I've been part-time kindergarten teaching for my granddaughter for the last uh, month or so. Okay. Well, good. Yeah, I know that can be uh, challenging. Um, so Cindy, could you give us a little bit of your situation as to where you are in your uh, journey of life? Yes. So about, I worked for uh, about 35 years in the science industry. Um, the 30 of them, I worked for Big Pharma, um, doing clinical research primarily. Um, about three years ago, um, it, as part of a reorg where they started moving jobs, I was also offered a package if, if I wanted to take it and retire, it coincided with the birth of my first grandchild. And I said, I am totally out of here. <laughs> and I had, I thought I might go back in some capacity and, and work and do some consulting. Um, I have never looked back on retirement. It has been completely wonderful as our grandchildren. Oh uh, yeah. Very good. Well, nice. And Marlene, could you give us a little bit of your mm -hmm. background? Uh, I retired about four, about four and a half years ago, and I've had uh, I've been in a few different industries. The last one was in um, software industry for higher education, and uh, I retired and ha have been busier since I retired than before. So 
Although COVID, I have to say, has put a little bit of a damper on yeah. on that in a good way, though, actually. Isn't that, isn't that funny how that happens where, you know, you, you think about the idea of retirement and then, and then you actually do retire and you just said it, I've been busier than I was when I was working. I think Cindy would agree. And I think Lynn would probably say something similar because what happens next? Well, you're, you've got grandkids in the play or you're doing all the things that you wanted to do when you couldn't, when you were working hard and, and, you know, traveling for work or whatever it is. So I think that's amazing. But I think the nice part of it is you're kind of, you get to do what you want to do hopefully when you want to, to a degree. So I think that's really interesting. And Marlene also, by the way, she's our, uh, she's our resident Tesla owner. <laughs> <laughs> Is she the only one? I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know any other clients that have Teslas, but, but I do know that uh, we had a conversation with her and she was talking about the, te- do you like it? I do like it. Yeah. I do. But when I talked to you, I was still feeling a re- really, uh, you know, on the fence about it. And then I went and jumped off the fence, but I, I actually, the, the longer I have it, the more comfortable I am um, that I made a good decision. Yeah. yeah. Financially, maybe not, but <laughs> as far as the car goes, yes. <laughs> All right. Very good. Well, I, here, here's kind of what we, we talked about for the month in the podcast. We had three podcasts that we're going to discuss today. Uh, and we'll have some conversation. One was on reverse mortgages then we had one with um, an analyst that we use. Uh, we called it "Buy and Hold is Dead." And then we uh, did an interview around mortgages and refinances and those kind of things. So let's just kind of start with this idea of the reverse of mortgage. Is there anything you heard about that maybe that you didn't know or that you didn't understand, or maybe some point that you learned or that you still have questions about when it comes to this idea of a reverse mortgage? Anybody got a comment on that? Sure. So um, I actually found that one fascinating, right? Because, you know, in the past, you you always heard reverse, reverse mortgages are bad. You know, people are trying to steal the equity from your home, steal your home from you, that sort of thing. Um, and it, it was it was really interesting to hear, um, you know, what he had to say about them um, and and how, you know, secure they can be. The thing that intrigued me the most was not for myself, actually, but it was for my mother, right? So I've got an 85-year-old mom. She lives by herself, still in her own home um, in Williamsburg, Virginia. And at at some point in time, there's probably going to be some long-term care needs, right? And the thought now that we could perhaps use the equity that she has in her current home to, to get her maybe into a place maybe a year or so before she actually needs to be there is, is at least intriguing and something we, you know, we're thinking about. And I hadn't even considered that in the past. Yeah. What about, what about Cindy or Marlene? What were your thoughts? Anything? No, you go. Okay. So, so I actually knew very little about reverse mortgages because I just got turned off by what they're called and, yeah. and never looked into it. I found it very enlightening. Um, I particularly like what are the uses for it? And there's, they're varied. And and so I understand like Lynn's point about like her mom, that makes perfect sense. But, but I also like a couple of aha moments where the other uses where you described how you might have one and take the money and invest it or have an income stream from it. Um, and I just thought, wow, there's so many uses for it. And 
you know, I, I wondered like, what, what is the downside to this? I mean, it sounded so good. So, so I'd be interested in your perspective of like, why, why wouldn't you do it? Yeah, I would agree with that. I, um, I think that when I've heard of them before, it's been when I've been on some channel that, you know, it maybe isn't the, it certainly wasn't the one of the major channels and they, they have these commercials that, um, you know, some has been, um, celebrity is, is pitching the reverse mortgage. I'm always, always, uh, skeptical when I see one of those commercials. So this was really surprising to me. And I wondered also, like Cindy was just saying, were you surprised? I mean, have you used this with your clients? Um, and if you haven't, uh, is it something that you think would, you know, you'll, you'll start to use in the future? Yeah. So I'll, I'll say for me, I, you know, a long time ago, yes, we did look at the reverse mortgage. I will tell you that what has gotten better, and it's still though something you have to consider, in my opinion, are the fees associated with a reverse mm -hmm. mortgage. It used to be astronomical, like so bad that I was like, I'm not going to ever talk to anybody about a reverse mortgage because the fees were just so crazy. But as the reverse mortgage, I think, has become more and more mainstream and, and it's becoming more and more used, it's brought that down because of the competitive market, meaning that the fees have kind of started to come down into a, into a reasonable area. But if you were going to say, what do I, if I were helping somebody look at a reverse mortgage as an idea, then it's going to be, let's, let's consider the fees involved. Mm -hmm. And you know, there are a lot of situations I think that we come across, Merce and I, as we're looking at um, plans where you could have a person who has substantial equity in their home and they're not in the place of saying, I want to go sell my home. They want to stay where they are and they want to stay in that place. They want it. That's where they want to be. And so that's kind of a part of a potential retirement plan. Because if you have somebody, you take, for example, in Raleigh, I mean, you could go any market, but let's just go Raleigh. And you've got a humongous increase uh, from where you started out 10, 15, 20 years ago in your equity position. Maybe you only had bought your house for, I don't know, an X amount of money, but now it's worth double that. And you're going, how do I even get access to that? And I don't really want to sell my house to leave. That, that One of the things that Merce and I talk about all the time is that this whole idea of downsizing. It's really interesting. Most of the time, if you look in a market like our market, uh, downsizing is not reducing money in the house purchase. It's reducing size and maintenance. Because you could sell a million dollar house in Raleigh and go get a condo and spend seven hundred fifty eight hundred thousand just to go get this. So it's not you're not really kind of going down in in necessarily price unless you decide that you want to move out of the market and go to a different location. So I think this got its place. What do you think, Merce? Yeah, well, I think to add to that, you know, the reverse mortgage, the concept of it is relatively new to me. So I learned a lot from Ron too, and I think the the massive benefit from it is more of well, when we have conversations with clients that have possibly inherited a house or inherited some land or whatever it is, or the, when it comes down to, especially if it's split amongst three, four or five different siblings, well, that's where a lot of stuff starts to get intermingled. And it's like, well, what do we do with this house? What do we do with this land? Are we just going to take a fifth of it? Are we going to keep it and give it to the next generation? All that. So, you know, that, that presents its own issues when you're inheriting land or a house with the reverse mortgage, it kind of set, it sets a tone of, well, no, while I'm alive, I'm going to use this as an asset 
And I'm essentially going to, in a way, deplete this asset to where, you know, when I pass, the house is no longer a question. Yes, it still has to be sold. Yes, it's still owned by the inheritors. But the the, the deal is, is that you got to sell it. It's no longer, well, how are we going to split this? Are we going to keep this? What are we going to do with this? So in a way, it kind of makes a, a defined decision uh, by the owner of the house, which I think is really cool. And then you leave all the other assets Hopefully, you know, there's there's assets still there and you haven't had to tap into the 401k as much because you had the reverse mortgage. And so you have all the other assets that are easily transferable by that beneficiary form or that transfer on death form. So I think it could be really good, but it also comes down to the situation, comes down to the fees, whether or not it makes sense. But I mean, I learned a lot from Ron in that situation. Yeah. You have anything, Morgan? No, I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I just don't want to leave you. I, I didn't want to you know, no, move. I, I learned a lot. From yeah. That. Okay. So, Hey, by the way, you know what I didn't say in the beginning of our podcast um, that I'm going to say now, because as people are listening to it, is that this podcast, when people get it, it comes out on a Monday morning and everybody wakes up and this is a live podcast. And so if you just heard that we cracked open a bottle of wine, you're thinking, Oh my goodness, these, <laughs> these people guys. are drinking like eight o'clock in the morning. I didn't want you to know, we're recording this well after four o'clock. And so I think we're well into the, like, you know, Jimmy Buffett zone. I mean, it's we're like, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. We're, Mark is closed. I think we deserve this glass of wine right. and talking about reverse mortgages. All right. So the next one that we had that we'd kind of chat about for a little bit is a, and in all essence, he's an analyst. His name is Bill Sherman. And we titled the show Buy and Hold is Dead, which is a thing that Merce and I teach all the time about how we manage money. But he kind of gave his perspective and his approach to, you know, he's obviously the analytical guy, but was there anything you heard about that? Anybody that you thought kind of hit you and went, well, okay, that makes sense when it comes to managing money in the stock market today? I'll go. Um, actually, that's the reason why I switched to to, to your company is because, um, you know, I was brought up on buy and hold. My business school, they they really drummed it into you. And it, it occurred to me that especially now that I'm retired, it's one thing when you're young and you've got years to let the market recover. But when you're retired, you don't have those years to for the market to recover. So I, I, um, I completely switched my you know, um, philosophy, so to speak. And, and, um, I, I totally, um, I'm on board with, um, your technique of investing. Good. Anyone else? So, yeah, I, I'll, I'll talk a little bit. Um, you know, what, 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 what I picked up from what he said was this whole idea of data-driven decisions, right? So the, the industry I was in, you know, it most recently, and I'm sure it's the same with pharma too, it's all about data-driven decisions. So you take the genetics of an organism, its environment, and how it responds to that environment, and you keep adding all those variables and testing them over and over and over again. And you get these models that allow you then to predict what's going to happen um, in the future. And so, you know, so understanding that he's using something similar, you know, they're, they're looking at... I'm assuming anyway that what has happened in the past when certain things happen and here's what the, how the market responded and you keep feeding that data in and eventually, you know, you're able to predict better. And so, you know, when, when he says that what we're trying to do is capture as much of the upside as we can and as little of the downside as we can, and he's using these models to figure out how to do that, 
um, it, it really starts to make sense, you know, that um, when you're in retirement, you're, you're not necessarily now looking at getting all the high returns. You just don't want to lose anything or you want to lose as little as, as possible. Um, so, yeah, that kind of all hit home, I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I will say, you know, when I so when I first started working with Raiden, probably almost almost nine, 10 years ago, and I was fresh out of college or a couple of years out of college. And the idea was just buy a stock, hold a stock, sell it. And then I met Raiden and kind of learned the philosophy there. And it, at the end of the day, it all comes down to your risk tolerance and what you're willing to do. Go back nine years when I first started, I was willing to hold that stock and kind of run through it. And I'm relatively young and I have a lot of time left to kind of recoup that. But even now, now that I understand it uh, and and the, the power of what Bill would say, Bill Sherman would say of not going backwards, um, it, you know, it resonates with me. So when we have, when you have issues like coronavirus, or you have that 2008 issue, I don't have the stomach for it anymore. And I don't know if it, maybe that's because of the clientele that we work with, and maybe it's adjusted the way that I think about losses. I just don't have the stomach for losses. So, you know, the idea of risk management makes a lot of sense to me. So I don't think it's necessarily, you know, an age thing. I think it's more of, well, how do you interpret risk? And, um, it, it just kind of falls into place for a lot of people. And I agree, Lynn, I think if you can put your hand on it, so you're from a science, scientific type of background, if you can put your hand on it, it makes sense to you. I think, you know, then, then you're, then you're well aligned. Whereas some investors may say, well, look at the the fundamentals of this stock or the PE ratio of this stock and, and the, the, the future aspect of this stock, you know, and well, that doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people because it's all it's all pure guesswork. So, someone that works and lives in the world of well, here are the numbers, sci- scientific, pharmaceutical. You know, I think it aligns very well. So, I think that's a great comment there. Hey, by the way, if I ever say, "Do you have a comment?" and you don't, it's okay to say no. But I'm going to ask you, Cindy, do <laughs> you have anything you wanted to add? Yeah. Well, I just wanted to say that the the whole philosophy resonates very well with me because I'm a data driven person as well. And, and I really liked the quote, whether it was to win is to not lose or to, to not lose is to win. Um, I mean, it, it just all makes so much sense to me. And, and I hate it when things don't make, make sense, but this makes so much sense to me. Right. Um, and I just wonder how, you know, how prevalent is buy and hold in the financial advisory world is this something that's going to grow in terms of people accepting it or or is it not not really taking hold well uh this just popped in my brain by the way in my analogy so i'm sorry um <clears throat> i think buy and hold versus uh you know active management is as div- as as diverse in thinking as Democrats and Republicans, meaning, you know, you, you know, Pretty diverse. Yeah. So you look at the country right now and you say, what just happened in an election? You really had a 50, 50 thought process. Okay. And I think you have the exact same thing in the investment world. You can have people who want to argue uh, why a buy and hold strategy is far superior than active management. And you've got a very large population that says, Active management is better than and than buy and hold, and the reality is it comes down to your personal situation. All right, so I'm just going to walk you through 
what me and Merce just went through. We went through it with you guys, all of our clients. But I'm going to take you into February, March of this year. Okay. So if you go into February of this year, we were, the market was up and our clients were up at that time about 9% by the time we get to February. We were like really doing well as we had gotten into February. By the time we got to March 23rd, the market, the stock market and, and our most aggressive clients were down about 9% by the time we got there. Well, that scenario for us is a very stressful situation. I mean, we're watching it every day, all day long. That's all we're doing. And we don't really like to lose money. I mean, we don't love that idea at all. And so we were really watching that very, very closely. Here's the thing. The market, now we made adjustments and the market continued to fall. The stock market did down to 32%. Now we had stopped the bleeding and our most aggressive clients at the time were only down 9%. We stopped the bleeding. I will tell you that me and Merce sat there mm -hmm. at this point for about um, somewhere around 30 days, uh, not in the market. And, and I'll tell you that we were stressed again because we know that it's going to turn at some point and we're going to start to go back up. But even still, we were sitting there going, you know what? We've protected our clients. We're protected. We and him use the exact same strategy we do for our clients. We don't really manage our money different than we do our clients. And so... I know that I felt better knowing that we had taken the risk off. Now, there are other scenarios where we might have taken that action and the market went down a little bit and shot right back up and we got behind. But it's exactly what, and I can't remember which one of you said this, but uh, it is exactly what you said is that, you know, it's more about keeping what we got once we get close to or in retirement than it is about trying to make a bigger return. And I always use this analogy. I say, if you got your money, whatever your amount of money is, and you said, I would like to make around six, 7% a year. And one year you only made four, that's not going to change your retirement plan. But if you have a year where you lose 50%, that's going to change your retirement plan. Okay. And, and that's our whole goal. So we're not trying to argue whether buy and hold is better than active. All we're saying is that for us and for our clients, active is better than than buy and hold. Yeah. So. I hope that you are enjoying the show. By the way, if you are in or nearing retirement and are someone who wants to gain clarity on what questions you should be asking, learn what the biggest retirement myths are, and identify what you could be doing to achieve peace of mind for your retirement, get started today by requesting your complimentary video course, Four Steps to Secure Your Retirement. To access the course, simply visit pomwealth.net forward slash podcast. If you're new here or you haven't done this yet, this is definitely the first step to get started in applying these principles to your life. So head over to pomwealth.net forward slash podcast and check us out. Yeah, I think to piggyback on that, to kind of give you more, more of an illustration of what was going on in the office, um, you know, it was March 23rd when the, the bottom of the market was, and we had made our call a little bit before that to get out of the market. And uh, so we were happy that we were out. We saw the market falling. We don't like to see the market fall, but we're happy to see our clients are here and the market is continuing to fall. So we've done good by our clients. <laughs> now the question became, you know, when do you get back in? And that that's where a lot of conversations happened between me and Raiden. And, you know, we would sit 
after four o'clock, the market is closed, possibly have a beer. And we're like, what? Four. Yeah. What do we, what do we do here? This is un, unprecedented. We're in a pandemic. No, none of us have ever managed the markets during a pandemic. What do we do here? Luckily, you know, and we're reading all of the articles about, you know, how this is going to progress, what type of impact this is going to have on the economy. But luckily, the way that we manage is purely based off the numbers. And so we ended up getting back in on April 30th and purely based off the numbers, it made a lot of sense. And I will tell you on April 30th too, we were still very nervous to get back in because yes, we listened to the numbers, but also we still read all of the stuff that everyone mm -hmm. else reads and the stuff that's out there can be so overwhelming. And it was a, it, this year has been something to live through and we're we're happy to be on the 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 plus side of that i would say but it, it just to kind of give you an insight as to what was going on during all of this it's it was something and i'll, I'll sum it up with you know you take a bill sherman obviously a smart guy and and to have those numbers for us and to feed us those numbers. We have three uh, different institution that feeds us numbers. So he's just one of those. And, you know, to have that, that data helps us make our, while we may be nervous, our, our data is our data and we follow the data and, and that's what you do. You have to go with the data and it works most of the time. And so anyway, I think at the end of the day, I'm very, very, I've looked at all forms of how you can manage money. I am a hundred percent 115% on board with the way we do it. I feel it's the safest. I feel it's the best for especially folks that are close to or in retirement. And that and that's where I live. So I'm good with that. So thank you so much for your feedback. Okay, so we're going to move on now to our next topic, which is mortgages and refis. Now, um, I know sitting right here now, Morgan is in the middle of her wait a minute, She's just already finished. Yep. She's already finished her yep. refinance. I know Lynn is in the middle of refinancing, but, and all of this is because these rates are falling and, and we're in the middle of all that. So Morgan, let me ask you, what's your, been your experience so far with, and what did you get from this whole Tammy Rowe inter interview? I'll say that I learned a lot from Tammy Rowe in and outside the podcast. She was very, uh, very helpful in the process. Um, but it was a really neat process to go through and, and having listened to this and having this information was very helpful. Good. So Lynn, what about you? I know you're, you're, uh, you're going down this path and, and doing this. So you got a lot to say on refis right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm living it right now. And, and um, as you know, Radon, we're refinancing um, not only to take advantage of the lower interest rates, but to increase cash flow. And, and I, I don't know that a lot of people think of it that way. A lot of people might go, well, I can refinance now and I can get down to a 15-year mortgage from a 30-year mortgage and not pay that much more interest. You know, my payments won't change that much and I can pay off my house faster. Um, but we're in a situation where we, we own two homes. We have one in here in Raleigh that we're probably going to sell in 10 years and Morgan's already on the list. Um, <laughs> and... Um, and, and, you know, we thought, well, you know, does it make sense? Well, actually, you would, you, you, we had that conversation and we, we decided, well, it kind of makes sense to go ahead and refinance, take advantage of the lower interest rates and, and actually go to a, a longer term mortgage. So we, we had 20 years left in Raleigh and we had, we had 19 of 20 years left in, in New Bern. And um, we've decided to push it out to 30 years on both. 
And um, and I, I was telling Morgan, you know, this afternoon, we're, we're increasing our cash flow a, a pretty sizable amount. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and I, I, I'm, I'm crazy with data. And so I'm going through all the amortization tables and I'm trying to figure out, OK, you know, when you stretch your mortgage out, that means you're not paying your principal down as quickly. You know, how much are we going to how much less principal are we going to have when we go to sell the house? I figured all that out. Um, you know, and, and we're still ahead of the game, right? <laughs> so, um, we will have saved more. We would, we'll, we will have gotten more cash flow than the principal we're losing. I don't know if that makes sense, but, um, anyway, so we're, we're excited about that. Hasn't been approved yet. We're in underwriting at the moment, <laughs> which is the nerve wracking part where they start then asking you for all your life's history. Um, and why you deposited that $3 check yesterday. Um, <laughs> we actually had that happen one time. We had to prove why we deposited a $29 check. And it was like from a dentist. <laughs> um, but anyway, so, um, uh, you know, I'm excited to see um, or keep my fingers crossed that both these mortgages get approved. And, um, and we, we reduce, we, we have some more cash flow each month. Yeah, good. What about you, Marlene and uh, Cindy? Anything you you got from that uh, that episode there? Well, I completed uh, um, my refi probably a month ago, and it was the. I mean, compared to what I remember about this a, a long time ago, this was the easiest time I have ever been through. I from start to finish, it took three weeks, and I. I just had to give information one time, which is like, that was a miracle in itself. And my cash flow, I shouldn't tell you this because then you won't, <laughs> but my cash flow is a lot better. <laughs> oh, looks like we need to have a conversation. I know. <laughs> I just gave myself away here. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, good. Thank you, DocuSign, man. That makes <laughs> sense. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then they come to your house. Well, I don't know how you're doing it. They come to your house for the closing, which is like, whoa. Oh, you know, oh, they came to your house for the closing. Yeah. Oh, I haven't heard that. That's Mask and all. And it, you know, that also is really quick. Yeah. That's Good. something. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, refis, mortgages, they can be overwhelming at times, but there's a lot of good reasons, especially for a refi right now because rates are as low as they have ever been uh, and they can move very quickly. I'll, I'll share a quick little story for that, for my house. And I think we, we signed to build it. This was a couple of years ago. Uh, when did we get married? We got married in 2017. So it was December, December of 2017, the rate that we were supposed to get or that we were told we were uh, the current rate, let me say it that way was three and a half percent house was going to take about six months to get done. And so we're thinking, okay, well, maybe it could float up a little bit or maybe down a little bit. By the time we got to closing six, seven months later, it had gone from three and a half to, to, to uh, 4.625 in just a six, seven month window. So rates are all over the place. So we did a refi, not, it was maybe last year and now we're kind of back down in that three and a half rate or whatever it is. But it, you know, it's, it's the, that whole world it can be overwhelming 
and knowing why or when to do a refi. So I think Tammy did a great job about, you know, talking through whether you need to do a refi just to get your payment down, or maybe you have renovations that need to be done on the house. Maybe you get some cash out from that refi to pay for the renovations. Um, So there's a lot that can be done there. So I think that episode is pretty cool. Tammy did a great job. He did. So Cindy, anything there from you on that, by the way? Well, I mean, I, I, I did a refi um, a while ago. It's been years and thankfully the memory of it has gone. So, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it wasn't terrible. It was a great thing to do. And, and I got a great rate on a 15 year mortgage. Um, and so I thought she did a great job explaining everything, but, but during it, I was sort of wondering because, you know, sort of your, your view of the typical retiree is like, well, you need to have your house paid off. And, you know, I've always wondered about that. It's like, why? Um, I, I, and I asked somebody also in the financial world a, a long time ago, like, why did, why does that sort of a thing for retirees and, and they said, well, some people just don't like to have debt. Okay, that makes sense to me, but it's not like a, a real thing. And that's, that's sort of an emotional thing. So just interested in your, your view on, is there a reason for this other than some people just don't want to be in debt? Yeah, I think that it has a lot to do exactly with what you said. It's emotion. Now, I do think that there are some numbers at some point that it becomes advantageous. And I'll give you an example. Um, let's say that a person owed, and I'm going to make the numbers real easy, $100,000 on their mortgage. And because of the way a mortgage works, your payment is flat the whole time. So if you had had a mortgage for a long time, and let's say you owed $100,000, you could owe, let's, I'm just going to make up some numbers here, but let's just say that you owed $800 a month on your mortgage. And because it's an old mortgage, but your balance is down to 100000 and your payment's $800 a month, um, principal and interest, not your, not your, um, you know, escrow escrow. So that's where you are now. What we look at is sometimes it's, and sometimes people say, well, I got this hundred thousand that's invested. Should I leave it invested or pay off the hundred thousand dollar mortgage? Well, I, I always look at that from a numbers perspective and go, do you think your hundred thousand will produce $9,600 a year? That's 9.6% rate of cash flow, not return, but cash flow. And people go, no way. And I go, I don't either. So in that scenario, I think pay off the mortgage because it's going to instantly give you $800 a month of positive cash flow by paying that mortgage off if you've got the cash. So we have to look at each situation. Now, let's go to another situation and somebody owes $400,000 on their mortgage, right? Now, all of a sudden, the numbers are going to change. They just do a refi, and if they pay it off, they're not going to be able to to make that make sense. So, in that scenario, I say keep it at a thirty-year mortgage. Make you know because all I'm looking at in retirement for anybody, Merce and I, when we do our retirement planning for income, is cash flow. I think Lynn said that uh, you know is we're looking at cash flow. What what's going to be the best way? to get us our cash flow that we need to produce the income you need in retirement. And so there's varied cir- circumstances. So, you know, we, we've had both situations where I go, don't pay off the mortgage. And then I've had them where I go pay off the mortgage. So yeah. just kind of depends. Yeah. I think when you're, when you're reading articles and you're searching stuff on Google, should I pay off my mortgage? They're, they're talking to a very generic 
audience, right? And the idea is, well, the mortgage very likely is your most expensive line item in your budget. It's probably, you know, 20, 30% of your income. And so it would make sense just from hearing that to get rid of that line item. It makes a ton of sense to go ahead and pay it off and get rid of it. Now you've got a nice piece of cash flow. But at the end of the day, you kind of have to evaluate, you know, that that doesn't make sense for everyone. You have to kind of, we have to think through, you know, the ins and outs of where all the, where the income is coming from, where the assets are, everything like that. Uh, is there a possibility to pay it off and does that make sense? But the the Google article is going to just go from the generic, well, pay it off and you're going to immediately increase your cash flow. But what's the negative to paying it off? They don't really ever answer that. So. All right. So we're going to close out here. We, you, we've all done fantastic and just review. And I'm going to tell you, I don't know that you understand this. I'm going to tell you from me and knowing that I've got other uh, listeners that are in your category, we have gotten the best feedback from this wind down because people love hearing from other people that are in their situation. So I'm just going to ask one question here for us to close out on. And you can go the, anywhere you want to go on this, but it's here's the question. What's <laughs> keeping you awake at night right now? Like what's worrying you? Now I'm going to start off with Morgan and here's why. Morgan just turned 40. Now she doesn't look 40 at all, but she's 40. And I just like everybody, I want everybody to, to listening to the podcast to know yeah. <laughs> that Morgan's 40. So Morgan, as a 40-year-old mom of two boys, uh-huh. two beautiful what, boys, two beautiful boys, what's keeping you awake at night right now? Like what, when you think about it, like what's worrying you right now? Virtual Academy. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I have to say. Okay. So basically <laughs> teaching your children at home and them having to do all that, that's that's difficult right now, huh? It's, it's just concerning. The one is in kindergarten. You just wonder, is this really working for him? Is he really getting anything out of this? The other one, he's in second grade. He's he's pretty smart kid. He's, he's fine. But yeah, it, it worries me that they're not getting everything they, they need right now. Yeah, that's difficult. I get it. So, okay. All right. Let's go around the table here. Cindy, what's keeping you awake at right now? Like if you think about it, I mean, it could be anything. It'd have to be, you know, just like right now, if you think about what's going on and like, if you say, Hey, you know what? Nothing's keeping me awake, but whatever it might be, what, what, what's your thoughts on that? So I'm happy to report that I am an amazing sleeper. (laughs) When I go to bed, I have no trouble falling. But, but what I will tell you though, is that recently so, so my dreams are what it, what tell me what's bothering me, what would keep me awake if I weren't such a great sleeper. And I have repeated dreams of being in different scenarios and going, oh, my God, I'm not wearing my mask. So it's like all of a sudden, like I've been at the movies, I've been at the airport, I've been out numerous places. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my God, where's my mask? You know what it is? That's what's keeping you awake. It's a new naked video. I mean, the new naked thing. <laughs> you know how when you grew up, everybody grew up thinking they would go to school in their underwear? Oh, gosh, and I'm naked. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, the new naked is, I don't have my mask on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is like a, a sudden realization that, like, I'm in this situation, and it's like, oh, my God, my face is bare. So, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so, Len, what about you? <sighs> I mean, I, I, I try real hard not to, um, not, not to think about things a lot before I go to bed. Right. <laughs> um, 
Um, although I'm not a very good sleeper, but that's probably because a train goes by my backyard about every three hours. Um, but you know, I, I, I used to worry a lot about, um, you know, how we would, we would live after retirement, you know, that, that, that was a main worry and, and it was still a pretty big worry before the election. Um, and, and, and I probably should be concerned still for a little while, but maybe, maybe not as much, but you know, the, the more I think about it, I think we've done, uh, my husband and I have done a pretty good job of preparing for, for our future. Um, and I know one of your questions at one point, you know, that I saw on the, on the list was, um, what would you tell your kids? And, and it really is, you know, you need to prepare for retirement when you're 20 and not when you're 60. Um, you know, so we maxed out, well, you know, we, we, contributed as much as we possibly could to our retirement, at least up to where our company matched, you know, and, um, and I, and I think that that has really helped a lot. And, and so if anything keeps me up, it's, you know, are my kids doing the same thing? Yeah. Um, I know one of them is, (laughs) (laughs) um, the other one's changed jobs a couple of times, but I, you know, I, I think he's doing all right. I know he's moved money from one 401k to another, so he's got something in there. So. But that would be the only thing with, you know, are they are they as well prepared as as we were? Yeah, very good. Marlene? Well, I, I hesitate to talk about politics, but I will say that my concern is, depending on what happens in the next four months, say, or five months, and, um, you know, how is that going to affect um, my life? our lives yep. and financially um, are we going to be able to, you know, start to think about getting out or, or you know, or the health of our loved ones, are we going to start to worry less about that? So it's basically, um, you know, how, how are the next four or five months going to um, affect uh, our lives? And I, I mean, I wish I had a crystal ball. Yeah. Well, you know what? We, we live in a, in a world where there's, it's ever changing. We have no idea. We were talking about it today. Like, you know, at what point do we believe things are going to be back to anything of what we could consider normal? And it's just so up in the air right now. We have no idea. You know, you hope that it's, you know, uh, you, everybody hopes we get into summer of next year and everything looks better and, and it's a, in a better scenario. But regardless, we've got plans in place to deal with whatever we got coming mm-hmm. our way. And that's our thing. So I know that for Morgan, Merce, and myself, we are very grateful. Uh, from the bottom of our hearts, we appreciate you coming on. And I just want you to know how valuable your expressions are, I think, for other people, because it's 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 good to be able to hear from other um, folks that are living what they either want to live or what they are living, either one. And you guys have shared some very, very good comments. we Truly appreciate it. Thank you for coming. Thank yeah, you. thank you very much, guys. And thanks for the wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, everyone, that wraps up today's episode of the Secure Your Retirement podcast. If you found value in today's episode, we would love nothing more than for you to head on over to iTunes and give us a five star rating and a review. Be sure to take a screenshot of the review before you submit it, and we'll send you a special gift. Our book, Get Off the Retirement Roller Coaster. Just email morgan at pomwealth.net with a screenshot of the review to get your gift. Also, be sure to subscribe so you get notified of new episodes as they're released every week. And finally, 
Please share our podcast with your favorite social network so more of your friends and family can benefit from this information. Always remember, you've worked hard to get where you are, and now you deserve to have a retirement that works hard for you.